0: You have to kind of be disciplined in your in your uh, in your own approach, but you also need to uh, allow your team to flourish. You know, they don't, there's no point having a having a head chef if you're standing there telling them it needs two grams more salt. I'm there to um, teach them, inspire them, and also nurture them, but take the hits where they where it needs to be.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Recently, we've seen a swathe of small bespoke hospitality groups with very niche and specific offerings setting new benchmarks of expectation. What does it take to run a small group that has multiple identities, all aiming to deliver the best in dining? Stephen Nairn is the Culinary Director of Eugen Dining, Eugen Tea Bar and Omnia Bistro. Stephen, how are you?
0: Very well. Thank you very much for having me. How's yourself?
1: I'm good. It's great to get you on the show. You're um, doing some pretty exciting things with some very special restaurants there in Melbourne. How's things going at the moment?
0: Yeah, things are going. Things are going good. It's been a kind of action-packed uh, four or five years uh, down here, um, but things are things are going really well. I can't I can't complain.
1: Tell us a little bit about uh, the different uh, offerings that you're sort of looking after as culinary director.
0: Yeah, cool. So we we have um, we're in the Capitol Grand Building in South Yarra, uh, and in there we have Omnia, um, which is um, which is like a modern bistro. stroke, and it takes a lot of inspiration from from the classics that you'd find um, around Europe. Um, and that's like an 80 seater um, that's been going since 2000 and just before covid really is when we kicked off uh, we actually had a pop-up of of omnia in the in an area uh, when we we're just testing things out because this this whole project we were always going to have multiple restaurants with, within the same building uh, then we also have Yugen tea bar which is a tea house and a patisserie that's uh, quite that's that's quite niche um, it's not much like that it's really fantastic Couple of great leaders in there doing, doing great things. Uh, then we also have Eugen, um, which is underneath the t tea bar. Then our latest uh, number is an event space uh, called the Grand Room. So we've yeah we've been we've been pretty busy as you can imagine.
1: <laughs> well, tell us about the scale of things. You're culinary director there. How many people are we talking about? And you know what what what's it take to sort of operate all these these businesses?
0: yeah well i mean we we started in two thousand and eighteen um and there were just these uh, when i I partnered with uh Larry kesselman who's the 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 uh, guy that designed and created the building uh, and it's residential above ab- above us and then the, you know these were just um tenancies just absolute empty shelves uh so we we literally um, built them from absolute scratch, not just, you know, the actual concepts or the designs, but and also um, bringing all the, the, the teams um, and the, the actual product to, to life. But currently right now, we probably have about 120 employees um and that's, that's you know guys and from, from, uh, from all different walks of life, all different kinds of expertise from um, you know people really focusing tea or and wine or sushi or, or um, whether it be French cuisine. So it's it's um, it's, it's it's an unusual uh, kind of uh, adventure that we're on down here. It's not it's it's not kind of like a hotel, but sometimes does feel like a hotel um, internally.
1: Well, unusual is a is a is a great word to use. Uh, how did you land on the different offerings um, that you've got there?
0: Well, the Ugin, um, that's underground, like and I, and I mean that's completely right, you know, deep underground. Uh, and I think that it had really tall ceilings and the space. It was too big for you know maybe a fine dining restaurant or. Or you know a bistro or a brasserie. It just it just felt like pff, this might work as a as a good um is something along the lines that you know inspired by Asia. And then we were fortunate enough to be able to get a mezzanine in there, and that. And then I was you know it was just screaming an and all It's quite small. It's not no. It's not the. It's not like two floors, but it gave us, it gives the, the opportunity to do something different.
1: As culinary director, what what's what's your role these days? Are you on the pans much, or is it more um, a creative and looking after the team sort of role?
0: No, it, it, it's it's um, you know you have to, you know you have to split your time accordingly. Uh, it, it, you know when we're when we're doing, for instance, at the moment we're doing a couple of big pushes on both Omnia and Eugen's menu so there's a lot of that in terms of in the development but then then for example if you're overhauling a menu quite considerably uh, to execute that, there you know, you're back on the tools. You're training the guys. You're motivating them. And you're fixing the problems. Then you're also working with the service team. You know how does how does it how does it sit on the table? How do you know what are we drinking with it? How do we clean it? How do we drop it? You know, it it grows arms and legs. So, in terms of and um, stand, you know, just standing completely, just focusing on running one section. Now, th- those days are long gone. It'd be absolutely impossible. It'd be impossible to to literally switch off and just worry about, you know, six dishes um, when there's so many other things that are happening within the business that need your attention. Um, so it just, it's just is literally uh, a case of, uh, I try and work in, you know, four-week blocks where there's a creative process um, week then there's a refinement week then there's an execution then there's something something different uh whether that's maybe going over out to Benella to spend time with the with um with a, a supplier or or to try and you know working on something that's going to we won't see immediately but you know we we'll, we'll see in the distance so it is very it's very varied but your mate, I mean I'm basically fully re- I'm I'm fully responsible for everything that happens so you can't just limit yourself to to one area, um whether it be the service side of things or the, or the kitchen side of things it's really where where we need to push at that that point, or what we're trying to achieve, or if we're trying to fix something, or get better and improve in something, or if it's something just completely brand new, you have to kind of be disciplined in your in your uh, in your own approach. But you also need to uh, allow your team to flourish. You know, they don't. There's no point having a having a head chef if you're standing there telling them it needs two grams more salt, uh, or you know. You know, it's just just that kind of nonsense. We, I don't, um, I don't, I don't do. I, I mean, it's it's all about kind of. I'm there to um, teach them, inspire them, and also nurture them, but take the hits where they where it needs to be.
1: Being uh, fully responsible for uh, the whole operation, what sort of impact does that have on you? Are they, are they big pressures that you have to try and manage?
0: Yes, uh, absolutely, absolutely. There's nobody – the. the you know, I think that's the natural progression. Um, you know, as of a chef, when you you, you, we're are so passionate about what we do. Um, you know, you you start as a as you know when you're a head chef, um, and then as you continuously progress, you're more you're paying more and more attention to absolutely everything. So sometimes, uh, uh, taking a lot more responsibility actually makes things easier. Because you need, you, it's not just about the food. You know, great restaurants are just absolutely not just about the food. They're all it's about the people. Um, and now things have changed dramatically. You need to, you know, to, uh, I've a very big, uh, we're fortunate that that we're pretty busy, and that requires a small army behind the scenes, whether it be in reservations, that it's maybe it's in our events team, some coordination to. Meeting different brands or whoever are trying to host the event, or whether it's with the finance team, you're there. It's a it's a very it's not people just see it as you're you know you're just standing cooking and serving guests. But it's re, there's a lot more complex um, than than just what people maybe see as they enter the restaurant.
1: Bistros and brasseries were such a key feature of the culinary landscape a couple of decades ago and then migration patterns brought a whole swag of amazing sort of restaurants, particularly from those originally from different parts of Asia. Um, but they're very much back on uh, the cards at the moment, brasseries and, and bistros. What's it been like for Omnia, for you, bringing, bringing that to life in this sort of modern culinary landscape?
0: Uh, it, it's 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 been very you know exciting i love that style of that style of food and i think the australian diners guests they don't they they're more comfortable in that kind of environment as opposed to something that's a lot more refined uh, and a lot more you know more fine dining i would say but i think for for that style of food, that style of uh, service, I, I I love it. It's been uh, thoroughly enjoyable uh, trying. You know, we, we take inspiration from the classics, but we're, we don't just do the, you know, the, the classics. Um, so it's, you know, I, 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 something I'm very passionate about is the, the old bistro.
1: Uh, I want to sort of explore what you are doing there with the various outlets, surely. But um, take us back to when you were young. Where did you grow up and what sort of role did food play for you?
0: Well, I, I don't know if you can tell by the uh, the accent. Um, you know, we might need subtitles here. But, the uh, you know, I'm a Glaswegian. I'm born, born and bred in Scotland. Um, and I think for me, I... You know, I've never actually. Uh, we never, we never ate any. You know, I didn't have a grand, a grandma that was rolling gnocchi on the table, or, you know, sp- everyone chipping in and making a salad. There was, n- there was none of that. It's quite humble, um, Scottish affair, hearty meals. Whether it's you know sausages, mashed potato and beans, uh, it was nothing fancy. But when I left school. Uh, Fifteen started got into the into a restaurant as a kitchen porter, and then once I progressed to, to you know to a really good uh, restaurant, where I started as pretty much an apprentice or or first call me. And even at that point, I still wasn't. Uh, I didn't. I liked I liked working, but I wouldn't say I really was blown away with food. And then something just clicked around sixteen seventeen, and a and a kind of became obsessed
1: what were the sort of really important venues and people that you worked with uh, as you started to build your career
0: uh, I think the you know I, I, I think the far the first big one that I worked out was was um, with a guy called Brian Mull, the Chardon door he's actually, the restaurant's no longer there now but that was he was the chef of Gavroche um, mm. and he for 14 years he was the head chef. Um, and that was just absolutely um, a real eye-opener and a proper education that kind of gave me the foundation. So then from there, I, w- I worked at Number One, which is a one-star Michelin restaurant in um, the Balmoral Hotel in Edinburgh. Uh, then uh, I was there for a few years. Then I went I live in Madison Park in New York. Uh, then from there, th- from there, I went to Vudemond's. And then from there, I uh, went to ESP and Matilda, set, helped, helped set up Matilda with Scott Pickett. Well, that was a really interesting role where we, we designed everything from scratch and um, it was a great concept. And then after that, then I came and started this this journey that I've been on for the last uh, five or so years.
1: Well, we skipped through some pretty big moments in your life there. I, w- I want to go back. How 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 big how big was that sort of change for you going to somewhere like Eleven Madison Park compared to the Michelin star restaurants you were used to in the UK?
0: Uh, night and day. So, like there, I would say you know, and I'd, I'd I'd stashed in lots of places in London where you know a lot of the heavy hitters, Gavroche, Ledbury, those kind of those kind of places. No three stars, but. I had been to I been in my fair share um but then when I went to New York especially America it was just completely and utterly different they had a very different culture in the kitchen there was no it wasn't as aggressive um but it was extremely detail orientated they had a in both the front of house and the back of house and it was a real it was a real step up and on level I'd probably say prior to Madison Park I was maybe like um cooking a a championship level and then I then I had been promoted to the, you know to, to a top four side in the in the EPL playing Champions
1: League on a Tuesday night <laughs> what did what did you take from your time there
0: uh, organisation discipline um, how how to be extre- you know the mise en place lists there that the we would achieve in a very small amount of times you just simply could not give that to people these days they would crumble um mentally and physically they just would not be able to execute that amount of work it was it was it taught you a real um because there was rigor anywhere else that had worked but when you have to work like everything is hyper analyzed you're you know you're completely utterly scrutinized whether it's there's a speck of sauce on your jacket or whether your fridge is not immaculate at all times or your it was there's another level uh, so I, what I took from there was just the the level of of organization not just like you know how to um execute your own your your own section but when you see a massive machine in action working at the highest level they had they had an event space in there. You know, and when I started, they would do 180 covers for dinner. They had two menus or three menus, and it was three-star Michelin. And I mean, it was this thing was there was probably a well over a hundred, hundred staff a uh, um, a service. So the you, when you were cooking something for staff meal, it was uh, a it was a fucking job. It was not like uh, you know this was this was proper. I never forget one time the uh, the sous chef uh, Connie uh, Legend's she goes like that to me, you're on biscuits. And I was thinking, like biscuits, you know, like, well, well, yeah, but this is, you know, like the American style biscuits and gravy. No recipe. And she's like, you probably need raw weight 14 kilos. I was like, Four- 14 kilos? Like, what, the, what, the, what the, Who are we feeding here, man? What are, you, are you serious? You know, I'm in like a, I'm like in an industrial size mixer here at three o'clock when I've got a hundred lobsters to prep. I'm like, this is fucking wild. So that was uh, that's the kind of. I then, I then I realised the calibre and the the skill set of people that you're, you were you were working with, and everyone that was there in my time's kind of gone on and done really good things. Um, heaps of guys there that are that are are. Um, Good friends, and and they they were all there at that same point where it was just literally absolutely wild. There was zero compromise. Like I mean, zero compromise. You're talking there would be a tasting at five o'clock, and the 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 chef James Kent, an absolute machine. They would think absolutely nothing of scrapping your section because you know three or four s- sauces were were not our subpar, and these are things that take you know two, three, four hours, you know, know—into uh, multiple, multiple components. And you're, you're going again at five o'clock, <laughs> five o'clock. That's what I mean. That level of pressure would just, you just probably, I, I don't know. I hope, I hope that, that some places are still have that and that, 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 that's not lost, but um, I don't know if there's many places operating like that in Australia, that's for sure.
1: What lured you down to Australia?
0: Uh, just a sense of adventure. You know, I was like, oh, it was because I knew, I actually thought I was going to, I actually thought I was going to go to France uh, and probably just follow the traditional route. But then I was away, I was actually separate from my now wife. We were actually apart. She never got her visa. I I, I did get my visa. So we are apart when I was working in America for the best part, I think, of probably like 15 months. So in my mind, I was I was like, I, got, I just want to get into another top top uh, kitchen carry on but we were both young we were probably like twenty, twenty four. 24 so we thought i made a compromise oh so we'll go to we'll go to we'll go to australia on a bit of a jolly uh, but i wasn't i wasn't really interested in traveling so i, I mean i applied for uh, every and then i met shannon and then next thing i knew uh, i was there and i, I think i started as sous chef finished as executive chef and it was then, uh, then I became a permanent resident, and then, you know, that's it. Ten years later, here I am.
1: What, what did you think of uh, Melbourne when you first arrived?
0: Well, we came in September. It was freezing cold. It was grey. It was not – I was the, – the missus was looking at me like, fuck, what have you done to this? Is, this is a shocker. I, I didn't quite know what was going on, but what I, one thing I did know was there was heaps of new and interesting products. There was, you know, I had there, the the range of fish was. I was secretly, you know, in my mind thinking that this is great, but what I did, it took me a little bit of time to understand the styles of restaurants. Like those rest, you know, it's quite. Um, I don't know if casual's the the right word, but n- not as many, you know, fine dining restaurants as you would find in other cities of Melbourne Melbourne size. You know, there was there was at that point there was Viamand and Attica. Uh, I think I think that there was Jack Ramonds was kind of coming to an end. You know, so there was really and Bray. I don't think it even started, um, or maybe it just started. Um, but there, they were that was really that was your options, and you know, Attica at that point was stagiaires only. So I was kind of limited. Uh, otherwise, I would have had to go to Sydney. But I thought I thought it I thought it was I had a great energy about it and uh, once the warmer weather came in October uh, November I was loving it
1: you uh, spent a lot of years uh, at on with Shannon Bennett do you have any stories of what he's like to work with
0: I well like he's Shannon is um he's I mean, the guy—the guy's got an unbelievable uh, work ethic in terms of. I didn't work with Shannon when he was still in the kitchen. he he was finished, uh, and he was—he was, you know, running the business as a whole, up to up to all sorts of things. But he was all—he was—he was brilliant for, uh, you know, if you if you ever needed any advice, or he was amazing at m- yeah, motivating you, and um, you know, and he was—he's just extremely creative, um, you know, if you and he's so passionate uh, you can't help that's why I stuck around so long because I remember I was kind of touch and go of whether or not I was going to move on and uh, after you, you know the you can only work somewhere for six months situation uh, until you get on to the sponsorship visa but uh, you know chatting away with him he was uh, he was an absolute madman as well uh so i loved that energy i loved his passion and he's you know he would he really was maintaining this the the standard and what he had created and you couldn't help but be inspired by it but we we done we done crazy things you know we went all the way to i went to peru and uh chile with shannon on a research and development trip it was fantastic you know we went to central astrid and gas and all these all these um, went to Machu Picchu. So we did, I've got a lot of great memories, not just on the, the culinary and restaurant side, but just him as a, as a person, you know, good good times. Ooh,
1: uh, you linked up with someone else who's incredibly energetic and passionate, Scott Pickett. Um, how different was he to work with?
0: Pickett was absolutely fantastic. He was, um, and he still is, you know, both Shannon and uh Scott they're, they're 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 great mentors and they're always there whenever you you know down here when I'm trying to maybe get a second opinion on something uh you know those guys are great but Scott was was like an open book um you know he was straight down the straight down the middle he was um you know he it was he actually I would he would spend he would give me a lot of time not just in the the culinary side of things but when I w- was always saying to him you know I'll be here f- for a couple of years but then you know my ambition is to do to do my own thing and scott would give me great exposure introduce me to to various different people who you know that he would also if i would say oh what do you think of this site he would cost it all out show me everything you know i think this is a bit dangerous so this is good uh, maybe you should look at something like this so completely you know uh invaluable experience that i got from him
1: what what was it about um, Australia that, that that kept you here?
0: Uh, it was a combination It was a combination between opportunity um, and beautiful weather. Because <laughs> Scotland's horrible. Uh, yeah, it's freezing. It's absolutely freezing cold there, pretty much all year round. Um, so yeah, it was it was that. It was the sense of um, excitement as well. Uh, that's what. That's kind of what kept us here.
1: Has your cooking style changed a lot since you've been in Australia?
0: Uh, yeah, I'd say so, 100%. There, because in the, the, a lot of the Michelin places in the UK, the produce is kind of, is you have a lot of beautiful things coming out of Scotland, whether it's the game, whether it's Snipe, Widget, Mallard too. I actually think it's, it the must it's, grouse season must just have started, yeah, because it's the 14th of August, starts on the 12th. Um, but your cooking's going to, uh, determined by the products of what you're, what, you know, what what you're exposed to, and a lot of that influence in in Scotland also does come from from Europe. You know, they there is a lot of produce that is brought in from there. So I think the cooking style definitely has changed purely based around what's available in in Australia.
1: How did the how did your current role come about? The
0: current role came about because I was actually looking for a a site to just. To, to open a one restaurant that was going to be a you know fine dining restaurant um, and I had multiple things uh, you know multiple irons in the fire but just couldn't quite find the right thing anything that I really thought this is this was this was this was it or couldn't find the right person to partner with obviously restaurants are very expensive especially when you get to the the higher end of, of things and I don't know if you know Monica Brown yeah, Monica um, introduced me to Larry Kesselman, and because he had a site that pote- potentially I was going to take just one restaurant, and which would be more of a you know fine diner degustation tasting menu style, and then um, well, I, then I came down saw the site at Capital Grand, and then Larry was like, you know, what what's your thoughts on maybe starting a hospitality group, and you know. D- and doing multiple restaurants, which at the start, at the start, I wasn't keen on. Um, but then, you know, it was a, quite a weird landscape at that time. There was, you, do you remember, there was that kind of movement of like, is fine down and dead and all this kind of stuff? And it was becoming a bit. I was, I was, I was kind of thinking, right, maybe I should just sit on this for a couple of years and see see what happens. See if see if I can learn something from this. Then next thing I know. I'm. I've signed up and I'm. I've partnered in and I'm doing. Uh, I'm. I'm doing multiple restaurants, <laughs> scrambling around in the dark.
1: Do you still have that fine dining itch?
0: No, oh, absolutely. No, hundred percent. It's probably not a day that goes by that I don't uh, think of that. But again, it's quite. It's at the moment, I, I definitely do think that. You know, we'll definitely look at something like that. But again, it's kind of. It's kind of tricky times at the moment. Um and those particular kinds of restaurants are you know you can't you can't uh, operate them with any less staff depending on how many covers are booked you know it's it's a it's a real considered um uh, mission there you know you once you're in you're absolutely in so i think there's a few things that need to align whether it be the right site the right time and the right opportunity but so i think that yeah for sure um I'd love to do something more on the fine dining side.
1: Well, you're doing amazing things with Omnia and and Eugen. Uh, what do you love about what you do?
0: I love the and, and what I love it is that everything's everything's every day is always different. Um and when you set the restaurants up and you're maybe not necessarily, you know, the where we're not just dominated by one chef and it's this is this way. I think what what great satisfaction I do get is from developing talent and then watching them actually grow into the role. And that only happens when you've been in a place for four, four or five years. And we have multiple people in those positions now that they've maybe came on as a, you know, as a, as a waiter all the way up to restaurant manager or maybe a sous chef to head chef. We've created multiple opportunities for really good people who would probably be overlooked and, 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 or have been overlooked or not just given the right thing. And I kind of take a personal satisfaction in that. And I'd say that's what I enjoy the most. I like the accolades are, and all those things. We've, we've been very fortunate. You know, we have six hats in here. We have Omnia has two hats. And Yugen has uh, two hats and also the Omikaze. Yugen has two hats, which is a, an amazing achievement. But th- those things can be short-lived. I don't... They're they're nice to have, but I'm certainly not um, you know losing any sleep about that. But where do I get the if I if I was to say what I love about it, I would say I love um, seeing these people now develop into so much. They're so much more advanced uh, than when we first started the mission. That that is that is um, I think that's what it's all about in terms of hospitality. Um, that's you, you want to you want to see good people, you know. Develop and you, there There's a huge part of of um, yourself in them, but then they grow and they go and do something completely on their own or wh- whether they stay with you. But watching their progression is just as satisfying as is your own progression.
1: Well, Stephen, it's amazing what you're doing down there in Melbourne and an absolute honour to get you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear a part of your story. Um, please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon.
0: All right, thanks very much. Good chatting with you.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at au, and be well.